of the highlights of my trip, my, a couple of my buddies and I have a fly fishing media company called Hogleg Fly Fishing. Uh, so we wanted to film a video in Patagonia and I had been kind of hearing about this place and I went to explore and I found amazing river. It's in the middle of nowhere, quite a journey to get to where there was a huge amount of browns moving up out of one of, the, one of these massive lakes to spawn. And um, yeah, so in this river, it's really tough fishing. You've got to walk, you know, every day you're walking five or 10 miles over really rough terrain, but you know, your average fish you're catching is a eight pound brown. I went back and told my buddies, I found the spot, you know, get down here. Um, so we just put together a video that we submitted to the International Fly Fishing Film Festival. Came out really well, I think, so. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. Today we've got on the program Ben Bortner, Hogleg Fly Fishing, Ben Bortner Fly Fishing on Instagram. Ben, thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, man, I got so many questions for you, and we'll get into all your trips and all the amazing places and uh, fly fishing you've been doing. But first off, I just want to, I always like to kind of kick things off, just kind of go back, take us back in time. How did you get into fly fishing? How did it all start for you? Sure. I grew up um, in a family where uh, the outdoors were a big focus for my parents. Both my parents are bird biologists. My dad worked for the Fish and Wildlife Service for 30 years in the Migratory uh, Birds Division. And so, you know, growing up and outdoors, hunting, fishing were always, you know, part of family life. Um, did a lot of uh, fishing and fly fishing as a child, but then I didn't really do it for about a decade in college and, and a little bit of time after college. Uh, I was really focused on my career and education and that kind of stuff. And, um, but I moved out to Colorado and about six years ago, decided to get back into it and it'd be a great way to get out and explore the state more. And so I really went out and bought a fly rod and then uh, got obsessed with it again and basically do it all the time now. So Where exactly is your home base been in Colorado? So I live in Denver. Uh, lived in Denver for the last four years. I was in Boulder before that. Right. So you got access to some great waters. Like, what would you call your home yeah. waters for the most part without giving away too many secrets? Yeah, there's a lot of great waters in Colorado, a lot of great places to explore. One of my favorite places to fish is up in South Park. So many great waters up there, whether it's the South Platte or the number of reservoirs that just have huge populations of huge trout. So that's a great area to explore. There's a lot of there's a lot of spots off the beaten path there. Everyone knows uh, the Dream Stream, of course, but there's a lot of other water there to explore that a lot of people don't take advantage of it. Yeah, I hear you. You alluded to the fact that your parents were uh, pretty, uh, I forget the, the term you used, but they sound like avid bird birders. Do you, did that help with your fly time at all? <laughs> yeah, my dad uh, will save uh, some feathers for me every now and then. He, uh, he was saving some recently some wood duck flanks that he, he was really proud of. They were really pretty. So, uh, yeah, I get some free feathers sometimes. Do you do a lot of tying yourself? Or I got into tying a few years ago um, and really uh, enjoy tying. I haven't done a lot lately. It's, it's always hard to find time to tie. Uh, and I've been kind of nomadic for the last year. And so it's hard to – it's easy to tie if you can have a place that's dedicated to it. You don't have to, like, clean up and set up and take down and clean up every time you tie. Uh, you can sit down and maybe just tie, you know, a handful of flies real quick. 
it's a lot harder when you have to go set up everything, you know, pull everything out of storage and set it up and then you tie, you know, a dozen flies and then you have to clean it all up again. It's not the most effective use of my time. So uh, lately I've have had, lately I haven't tied a lot. That's something I struggle with too, is taking things on the road and being portable. Now, I want to get into that because you're on the road a lot. And I mean, you've probably fished uh, many places that uh, most of us only dream of. Maybe maybe tell us a little bit about your fly fishing journey, where you, where it all started, and uh, tell us about where you've been. did quite a bit, bit of fly fishing in Colorado for you know, about the last four or five years. Leading up to last year, I was a uh, partner at an investment firm and for the last six years, uh, or five and a half years or so in Colorado here. So we, we just, my partner and I decided to shut down our firm last year for a variety of reasons. Didn't really have anything, didn't really know what I was going to do next. So uh, I ended up writing a couple articles on investing. And uh, from that, I got offered to do some consulting. And as I started doing some consulting, I realized that all I needed to do it was a Wi-Fi connection. So I um, ended up deciding to go on a little bit of a journey. And uh, so I went down to Patagonia. I was in Argentina. For about a month in Buenos Aires, I was studying Spanish uh, for about 20 hours a week. I didn't uh, know any Spanish, so I wanted to try to brush up on that before I was going to go out to Patagonia for a number of months. Uh, so after about a month of studying Spanish and hanging around Buenos Aires, I took a 27-hour bus ride to uh, Bariloche. I would describe it as the Aspen or Vale of uh, Argentina. Mountain town, like a German mountain town type. It, it's amazing the, the kind of the Bavarian influence down there, because I was down there yeah. a few years ago, and it, it was almost like being in Germany, wasn't it? Yeah, the Bavarian mountain town, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, I took the bus I took the bus just for the just for the hell of it to see see the landscape and see what just to see the countryside, uh, I could fly, you know, flying's about the same price as taking the bus, but I was like, why not take the bus ride? And uh, it wasn't too bad. It was like basically having a lazy boy seat and I had the front seat in the upper deck. Uh, so I had quite a view and they served you meals and uh, all that kind of stuff and actually drinks. Uh, so it was, it was kind of a fun time. I wouldn't, uh, probably wouldn't do it again, but it was, it was good to do one time, I would say. You strike me as the guy that's kind of all in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, just when you, you said you're studying Spanish, I mean, for me, like, okay, if you're going to go down there and spend five months fly fishing, uh, that's a big commitment. Yeah, I mean, well, I basically didn't. I bought a one-way ticket. I used my, um, uh, I used some airline miles I had saved up to buy a one-way business class ticket down there uh, for 55,000 miles and $6. Uh, you know, business class, why? I wanted to show up. I didn't want to be, you know, in a new city, in a new country. I didn't want to be, you know, tired out of my mind. Uh, and also, Something people should think about when they're traveling, fly fishing, you're carrying all this gear. You're allowed to carry two oversized bags. You're over the weight limit um, when you fly business or first class. So that was another advantage of it. So what were you using? What are you taking there? Uh, mostly pack rods, like four-piece? Yeah, uh, four-piece rods. But, I mean, I was going down there for an indefinite period. So I have, you know, one bag of, you know, all my kind of clothes and, you know, stuff I was going to wear. Another bag had a lot of fly fishing gear, you know, camping gear, sleeping bags air mattresses, you know, waders, boots. And then I had my fly rod case, my reels and rods, you know, various tippet and that kind of stuff. And then I also had my back, you know, just a backpack, the camera and drone and that kind of stuff in it. So I had quite a lot of gear. <laughs> okay. So you're doing, you're doing some pretty serious, you're doing some pretty serious footage. I've seen some of the uh, videos you've shot and it looks like you're pretty dialed in in that department. Yeah. So I'll, I'll keep continue talking about my trip a little bit. Um, so I spent a week fishing, down near Skell in the Rio Pico region of Argentina. I did a trip with uh, Hemispheres Unlimited, which is run by Justin Witt. 
Um, had a great week in down in Rio Pico. And then I took another bus ride to Santiago, Chile. And that's where uh, I bought a truck and I bought a Toyota 4Runner. And so through my research, I found out that you basically, as a foreigner, can't buy a car in Argentina. Really? No, as a foreigner, it's, it's very hard to buy a car in Argentina. And also, you're not allowed to leave the country with it, which was going to be kind of a problem to me. So for me, it's, I wanted to go back and forth, you know, on the border uh, with Chile and Argentina down in Patagonia. So the best way to, you know, the best way a lot of people do this, uh, not just in fly fishing, but a lot of travelers do this, is they'll go to Santiago and buy a car there. And that'll kind of be the start of their South American journey. Uh, it's a little bit complex, though. So I ended up hiring a couple guys um, to take me through the process of doing this. So you have to get a Chilean tax ID number in order to be able to buy uh, a vehicle. It took us a few days to get all the paperwork. And then I bought a vehicle from uh, another tourist couple. They, they, were about, they were wrapping up their trip. And so they ended up working out pretty well. So then where did you head out from Santiago? Yeah, I bought this truck. Uh, I emailed or texted a few of my friends, and these are just my buddies, not necessarily fly fishing buddies. I said, hey, I'm going on this road trip. Uh, anybody want to come? And I have two buddies that uh, have a lot of flexibility in their schedule. So they said, okay, and they flew down. They were picked the next Tuesday. And I picked them up at the airport, and we headed north. We went to Mendoza, Argentina, which is sort of the wine country. And my goal on the first part of the trip was just to get south quickly, uh, relatively quickly. I wasn't going to do a lot of fishing on the way south. I wanted to work my way uh, back, you know, kind of back north as fall approached. And so I wanted to get down south and maybe try to find some uh, king salmon was one of my goals. But so we went to Mendoza. Uh, we went around to some of the vineyards. You know, that's, that's uh, wine country in Argentina. It's kind of their, like their Napa Valley. And then we head south down Route 40, which is a famous um, a road is made famous by kind of Che Guevara went on a uh, uh, motorcycle trip around on Route 40. Uh, and that kind of what I think influenced him a lot in his in to become who he became. Those roads are really rustic, aren't they? Because I know I was in Mendoza a while back, and it was just like it was like going back in time. Yes, yeah, so I would describe being in. Uh, uh, that kind of Patagonia region. I wouldn't describe Mendoza as Patagonia, but yeah, definitely all that that region is being like 100 or 150 years ago, you know, across the Western U.S. The roads, unbelievably bad roads. Um, so yeah, actually one of the actually one of the worst parts of the road was actually that drive from Mendoza south down to uh, San Martín de los Andes. Uh, there was you know down Route 40. The first part of the day, we were driving down this road, and it was a brand-new, beautiful paved road. And we're coming down this road, and there's no cars on this in this road in the middle of nowhere. And we actually you know, came upon the sign, and, and we didn't have the best Spanish, but it said the road was closed. And we're like, that road can't be closed. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. This road's way too nice. And so it was like, road's closed 25 miles ahead. And we're like, well, we could, either, and we could tell people have been kind of going around the sign, so we weren't sure whether the sign was just kind of – not accurate or what. So we ended up saying, well, let's go for it. So we went for it and we sure enough to go 25 miles down this beautiful, beautiful road. And then it just dead ends in the middle of nowhere. And so we had to go all the way back. And of course, one of the things when you're driving in these remote places is gas. And you're hoping you have enough gas to make from town to town. You really have to fill up with gas in every town that you're in. So we were like, wow, we're going to kind of be stretching our gas here. We just wasted, you know, 50 miles worth of gas. Um, so we had to go all the way back. And then there was a little side turnoff onto a tiny little gravel road. I'm like, oh, well, I guess this is the way. So we went down this, you know, washboard gravel road for hours. And that's kind of the story of Patagonia is just washboard roads for hours and days on end. 
But actually, later on that day, we got to, we kept seeing all these cars that were covered in mud. And we're like, why are these cars so muddy? And uh, we got down to a section of road that had completely washed out in a flash flood. And it was kind of funny because you pull up and there's a big bulldozer there. It's ready to fix the road. But the guy was in the cab of his truck taking a siesta. And meanwhile, there was about 20 cars waiting to go around this mud puddle. But we had seen these smaller cars and guys on motorcycles that had gone through this mud puddle. So we kind of was like, well, we can go. Let's go for it. Uh, I think we can get through. And uh, so we powered through this mud puddle that was, you know, a couple hundred yards long. And you couldn't tell how deep it was. And so we just went for it. <laughs> uh, th- <laughs> thankfully, it, thankfully, it all worked out. But we made it through fine. But uh, there was uh, people who were not going through it. Uh, they had, you know, smaller cars and, uh, you know, fancier motorcycles. And so they... What kind of a vehicle did you pick up when you were in Santiago for this, for this Yeah, trip? so I bought a Toyota 4Runner, a uh, 2007 Toyota 4Runner. Uh, but it actually only had rear-wheel drive it wasn't it didn't have four-wheel drive so that was kind of the uh the risky factor wow. um but it did have good tires so you know it worked out that part of the trip at least so tell me a little bit about the fishing that you experienced when you were down there yeah so when i finally so we we did end up driving south for you know two weeks doing all kind of more touristy things sightseeing but uh so I uh, started fishing down at Tierra del Fuego, um, so I made it all the way down to the end of the world. Uh, Ushuaia is kind of the town there at the end of the road. I uh, started fishing in Tierra del Fuego. It's, I would, Tierra del Fuego is a really hard place, you know, to try to do on a DIY basis. All the, on the Argentina, Argentina side, it's all locked down by the biggest estancias that, you know, they want you to come and pay $10,000 a week or whatever to come fish there. And I'm, I'm more of a DIY type fisherman. So I like to do things on my own for as much as I can. Uh, so it was really kind of a frustrating experience trying to fish down to Tierra del Fuego on a DIY basis. Uh, I was trying to catch, trying to find some sea run browns. Uh, didn't have any luck with that. There are some opportunities to fish in Tierra del Fuego on the Chilean side, but, um, it was starting to get cold and I really just wanted to get North. I also had fished in um Torres del Pañe, which I was trying to fish for some king salmon there and ended up meeting some guys who uh, host some trips down there and got some tips from them but the problem was the river the Rio Serrano was super super high and I didn't have a switch rod and just did couldn't get down deep enough so I was wasting time there and didn't didn't spend a lot of time there so really started to get in some good fishing uh, in a place called Cojique Chile which uh, I think is a little bit off the radar uh, there's a lot of, lot of really great fishing around that area. Um, so I ended up spending a couple months hanging around the Kohiki area. What I would do is I would spend a couple days in a hostel, three or four days a week working. And then I'd go camping for three or four days, uh, exploring in the back of my truck, you know, camping in the back of my truck, exploring different fisheries that I'd you know, heard about or just did a lot of research on the maps. It it looks to me, Ben, like uh, those elusive browns you caught up with at some point. One of the highlights of my trip was my buddies. Uh, we have a, my, a couple of my buddies and I have a fly fishing media company called Hogleg Fly Fishing. Uh, you can find our website at just hoglegflyfishing.com or or Instagram is just hoglegflyfishing. Uh, so we wanted to film a video in Patagonia, and I had been kind of hearing about this place, and I went to explore, and I found this is amazing river it's in the middle of nowhere quite a journey to get to where there was a huge amount of browns moving up out of one of one of these massive lakes to spawn and um, yeah so in this river you know it's really tough fishing you've got to walk you know every day you're walking five or ten miles over really rough terrain but you know you're 
average fish you're catching is a eight pound brown. Uh, you're not catching a lot. You're catching, you know, a good day would be three or four fish a day. I went back and told my buddies, I found a spot, you know, get down here. Uh, we've got to do some, this is the spot, do some filming, some fishing. So we just put together a video that we submitted to the International Fly Fishing Film Festival. Um, so hopefully we can get in. It came out really well, I think, so. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm stoked. I, I sure hope you could get it in there because uh, some of the footage that um, even on your Instagram page, Ben, is uh, is next level kind of stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've got a good media partner. Uh, his name is Aaron Schneider, and I, the other partner with Hogleg is uh, Skyler Moore. Um, so he, Aaron, is um, he went to school for cinematography, and so he's a great filmer and great editor. And uh, so we had a great time fishing. We fished for five days and just caught some amazing fish. One day we really, really lit it up. It was like kind of a, one of those, one of those great streamer fishing days when it's overcast and it's a little bit rainy, a little bit drizzly. And, you know, I probably landed 12 rounds over in six to 10 pound range. Now, what type of uh, fly <laughs> patterns are you using for these uh, giant browns down in Patagonia? Yeah. So for that river, um, it was, as big black streamers were what the ticket were. You know, that was the ticket. It was really tough fishing because uh, it was really windy. You're casting these big streamers with, you know, usually a seven or eight weight rod. So it really wore you out. I'm just curious. So when you're fishing for these browns, are you fishing the cut banks? What, what type of water are these, these big browns holding in? So these browns, shockingly, they're holding in a lot of places where you don't normally find fish. I mean, they're holding in the typical, typical holding runs. Uh, but really, these fishers, you're thinking about them, they're moving, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles up river from the lake. And they're really, and it's a steep river. There's a lot of rapids. Uh, so they're really just trying to find, you really can find these fish anywhere where they could be resting. So that's the typical, you know, runs and pools, but also, you know, just little buckets outside of, you know, a rapid or something like that. Uh, or I, you know, I found one fish, I was walking up the bank. And kind of looking and all of a sudden I looked down on my feet and there was a fish I was you know four feet above it on the bank I looked down and there was a fish sitting in six inches of water it was almost its back was almost out of the water so I literally just dropped my streamer down in front of it twitched it twice and, and the thing just came out and smacked it and after that I was much more careful about uh you know looking at every little spot you know even on you know where you wouldn't think you'd find a fish sitting on the bank a lot of these fish were just sitting on the bank um so it's it's kind of a unique something I've never seen before of all the trips you've been on, I know you spent some time in Alaska, Belize, Patagonia. Where's your heart tell you you want to be? Man, that's that's a tough one. Um, Alaska is something in place that's really special uh, for me. I went there when I was a kid. My family did a trip there, and then uh, we did a 10-day float when I was a kid. Uh, just my mom, my father, uh, my brother, and I. I sort of repeated that trip last year uh, with Skyler, my dad, and I. Uh, we filmed a little video, but it didn't turn. It turned out okay, but it wasn't anything special. But um, so Alaska definitely is there. The, the quality of fishing for salmon and the rainbow trout and everything there, and how remote and beautiful it is, is you know something that's very special. Uh, something, some place that really surprised me that I fished in the last year that really uh, I was kind of surprised by was Louisiana. I, would, I had never been to Louisiana before, and was going there for a bachelor party. And then decided to stick around for a couple of weeks and uh, do some fishing. And I ended up fishing with Greg Moon and uh, Michael Leesman. Uh, I think this is how you pronounce his last name. Um, anyways, so, um, you know, first of all, New Orleans really was 
really exceeded my expectations of the city. Uh, really, a lot of history and culture and the food and everything about it was uh, exceeded my expectations. And then fishing in the marsh out there is just unbelievable. The amount of life, I've never seen anything like it. Everywhere around here, there's bait, bait busting and bait popping. Uh, and then you see these massive bull redfish or these massive black drums or massive uh, Jack Cravalli. Uh, so there's just so much fishing, you know, so much life and environments in that marsh. It's unbelievable. What was your biggest takeaway from uh, spending time out on that water as far as uh, species? What, what did you enjoy the most of those? They're all fun and they're, they're different. Uh, what I really liked about fishing for the redfish is that they're challenging but rewarding in that if you make the right cast and presentation, they usually, you usually get an eat, but it's not easy to make the right cast and presentation. You know, you're talking, you know, a 40-foot cast, 10-weight rod into the wind, side wind, and, and you've got to land it kind of in front of its face. Fly drums are fun. They're kind of like a big tailing carp. You just see them kind of tailing around. you got to drop the fly pretty much right in front of its face because it's not going to move very much to your fly. Uh, and it just vacuums it up. And I had a really fun day fishing with Michael out and his dad out uh, on, a, on an island kind of further out on the reef. I don't know if you'd call it a reef or a bear, I call it a barrier island, I guess. And, you know, we were sight casting to these Jack Cavalli that would just come out of nowhere and come up onto the, the beach and uh, just crash on bait and looking for bait. Uh, and then, you know, this with 12 weight rod and they're just so powerful. Uh, so those are really fun to catch. That, that looks like some addictive fishing, those GTs. I, I can't imagine. How, how big are these fish? Well, these are, these are Jack Rivoli. They're kind of like, if you were to call them now, the GT of, of Louisiana or GT of Florida, because they're kind of similar. But uh, the, the, one I, the biggest one I caught was, uh, I think, in the mid or upper 20s. Um, I'm trying to think how long it was. I'm, I'm not sure how long it was. But uh, there's a photo on my Instagram. It, um, I made a little, just kind of a fun little video on that one. But uh that was a fun day. And they're, they're big. They're powerful. So that's, what the, like I said, with a 12-weight rod, and you're really putting the wood to them to turn them. Just to pull a bit of a 360 on you with all these trips and all these destinations and all your time spent on the water, who has been the biggest influence in your fly fishing? Someone who's been a mentor to me has been uh, Landon Mayer. Uh, he's been a uh, big mentor. I uh, started out as a client of his. His, his ability to see fish and find fish in the river is, is unbelievable. He's a, a true hunter of these fish. And um, so he's been a big influencer, influence of mine, uh, you know, his books. And we fished together as friends a number of times since then. We went on a trip this last, uh, I guess, two years ago almost to uh, Arkansas on the white to fish with Chad Johnson and try to find some of those big browns that they're catch down there uh, with streamers. Mm-hmm. And so that was, a, that was a great trip we did together. Um, and so he's been a real mentor to me. If there's something about fly fishing that you could change, anything come to mind? So one of the things I think is that there can be a lot of uh, egos around this. There can be a lot of big egos in the sport, and um, that's something that kind of just drives me nuts. But I've also had a lot of you know people that names you'd recognize who you know will respond to an email and they'll you know have a phone call with you and be willing to talk and and give you some advice on whatever you're trying to get advice on, whether it's making a video or um, all these other kinds of things that I've explored. So there's some of that, and there's also a lot of um, people who don't have that and are you know, willing to teach and help you learn. Uh, so it's, it's a mixed bag on that. Uh, and that would be the only kind of thing. I just think people who get you know, big egos about you know, fishing, I think is something I 
I don't really enjoy. Of all the places that you've been, I mean, fly fishing is truly, in my mind, a universal language, no matter where you go. Does it seem that way in your travels? Yeah, so in our video that we made, it's um, it's so the story's going to come out, whether we get into the film festival or not, you know, we're going to put the video out there. Uh, so you'll see more on this from us. But um, one of the things that's amazing, you know, traveling and fly fishing is all the people you meet and the friendships that you make from, you know, having a shared passion about fishing. And and so like, we met, a, uh, we were down in Patagonia, we met a guy who, uh, his name is Fred Yule. He's uh, one of the first, you know, kind of guys who explored Patagonia. And so he was, um, uh, he, so he was paid in the 1980s to come down and they gave him a helicopter. He went out and just explored all these waters. And, and if you've been to Patagonia, the amount of water, if you look at a map, it's the amount of places you can fish. You couldn't fish in a lifetime down there. It's unbelievable. And so he, but he, so he'd kind of been down there for 30 years and we met him uh, kind of randomly and started talking and he, you know, invited us to his lodge and invited us to take us to go fishing and invited us to, you know, have lunch at his place and, and fish at his lodge. And so you'll see that in the video that's coming out. We had a great day. Actually, it was, we were going to go fish this, uh, the river, one of the rivers uh, near Kohaike, but it was snowing and blowing out. That river was blowing out that day. So we had to go into his lodge going out on, um, he's got a private access to this lake and it started snowing all day. So we'd, we'd go out and fish the lake in the snow and then come in and uh, drink some whiskey and have some hot food and go back out in the lake. So that was kind of a really fun day. And again, it's all because, you know, sure passion for fly fishing so did you get down to jurassic lake when you were down there so i didn't i drove around it i was i was near i drove near where it is uh and i did some some reconnaissance i was talking to some people in town and i was trying to diy it and the thing is it's basically impossible to do it's all uh private property and the road out there um from what i've heard is basically impassable unless you you've got um a river a truck that can like really wade a a deep river and some of this crazy Mm off-roading and i only had a two-wheel drive vehicle and so i really uh, i didn't venture out to the lake i fished a lake near there Uh, it was supposed to be good but didn't have much success um supposed to be a similar type lake Uh, i didn't but i didn't find it so that's one it's it's one of the ones uh one of those locations, I think, where they've kind of got it locked down. You can't really DIY it. Uh, there's a few different lodges there. I know there's a um, my friend Justin Witt, who I mentioned earlier, is kind of launching a trout bum program at the, at that lake, where it's a little bit more affordable. Uh, and so, hoping to maybe do that again sometime. I'm curious. So, do you help people plan trips? Is that kind of in your in your business plan, Ben? I wouldn't really say I've got too much of a business plan, but uh, yeah, I'm willing to help people. <laughs> if someone's in touch and you want to ask some questions, I'm willing to. Then some advice. I'm not sure I'm going to give out destinations. I think part of the part of fishing is going out and exploring and finding these destinations, and maybe I'll give you some hints. But um, you know, part of part of fly fishing, mm-hmm. I think, is exploring and finding these places for yourself. Um, but yeah, I've talked about I've I've played around with the idea of, of putting together some trips and hosting some people to some of these places that I've been and 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 kind of handling all the logistics. Really, my idea is is to be kind of a more of a DIY team and and kind of like I'm. I'm here and help, you know, let's say you don't have the time to really go out and find these places on your own. It takes quite a bit of time to find these places, but you don't really need a guide. A lot of these, a lot of people, you know, who are, um, who are really passionate about fly fishing these days don't want to go pay seven or, or 10 grand for a week of guided fly fishing when they uh, don't really need, you know, a caddy. And not, 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 there's nothing wrong with guiding, but, um, you know, some a lot of people just don't want that experience. And so I think I was, my idea was, 
let's let's put together a group, a small group of people, you know, two or three people, and let's go out and fish as a group and have a great time. And and I'll kind of handle all the logistics and all that kind of stuff. And and there's a lot of logistics uh, down here in, uh, in these remote places in Patagonia or Alaska. I really like your term DIY. DIY fly fishing, I like it. Did, did, tell me a little bit about when you and Skyler got together and started hog leg fly fishing. Uh, where did that all start? Yeah, so Skyler was my neighbor, and I had seen this guy. If you've seen Skyler, he's got about the blondest hair of anyone you've ever seen. So I had kind of seen this blonde guy across the street, and I was like, who is this guy? And um, I was talking to some of my friends, and they go, oh, that's Skyler. And, uh, and so he had a party one night at his house. He was kind of a welcome party. as He just moved in. And as uh, so I went over there and we started talking and it turned out he liked to fly fish and I liked to fly fish. And we kind of became uh, best fly fishing buds. He's got, you know, uh, a real estate company and had all his camera gear and equipment. And he was like, why don't we start, you know, a media company? Uh, and so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, I'd seen all the videos and photos and we kind of had dreams and passions and uh, kind of had dreams and aspirations of doing that ourselves. And so we kind of got started and started with our trip in Alaska and we, we kind of did that ourselves, and it, it turned out okay. We learned learned a lot, and then we did this last trip. We brought along uh, Aaron. Uh, we found Aaron since then, and and so we turned this last recent video is going to come out is uh, a, I think a huge step forward for us. But we still learned a lot and have things we want to improve on, and all these things. So yeah, it's been. We'll see where it goes, and the goal is you know to make some badass fly fishing videos. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, of course, the blog. So that's something that you're, uh, I assume, constantly working on. You know, I, I had dreams and goals of writing blogs, but uh, I, it always seems harder. You know, when I have these ideas for blogs to write, and I always have a hard time sitting down and actually writing them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I haven't been, I haven't produced a lot of really, I've, I think I wrote a couple of good blogs about, a, you know, earlier this spring, but, uh, uh, and, I, and I've started to work on some other ones, and I just have never and have a hard time sitting down and finishing them. Uh, so I, I would like to do more of that. We'll see. Well, that's because you're, you're spending so much time on the water, right? Yeah, so much time on the water and, and uh, you know, pursuing other business interests. Um, so Where do you see yourself going next? So the next trip, where, where are you thinking? So that's something we're starting to talk about now. What, you know, what is our next trip? What's our next video we want to make? And, and uh, I wish I had a better answer for you. I don't really know. I have fish that I want to catch, but, you know, part of it also is I want to, my trips right now are going to be focused around how can we, what's a cool story we can tell. Uh, and so a lot of these destinations have been done. And so, um, you know, I'd love to go catch a GT. I still, I'd like to catch a tarpon. I've fished for tarpon a number of times and never seen to make it happen. And down the Keys and just, that's an amazing experience if you've never been. So yeah, we're still talking. We've got some ideas, but I'm, nothing I'm, you know, nothing we're too sure about yet. Uh, so well, I think the coolest thing about what you're doing too is you're telling the story in a unique way. Just having a look at some of your vids, because for me, um, anybody can just film catching fish. It's it's deeper than that. It's like that that old timer that you met down south that knows it inside and out. All you need is a shot of the guy's face, and you, that tells a story right there. Yeah, so that's in our video. It's going to be coming out. So yeah, I think we tried to really tried to tell a story with that video. Uh, it's going to be called uh, Rio de Vida which means the river of life in Spanish. And um, so, yeah, we really try with that, our latest movie to really tell a story about fly fishing and, and how it brings people together and, and how special these fish are. How much of your trip now is focused on, uh, th- does it kind of detract from the fishing sometimes when you're truly trying to capture it? Yeah, so that's something that uh, I think Skyler and I have a hard time doing is that, you know, we love fishing. And so when you're out there in these spots, it's e- it's really easy to just like, 
charge the river and, and charge holes. And I think something we actually, if you want to make a, it's fish, making a video and fishing are kind of a little bit, two different things. We're trying to figure that out going forward. Like we both want to, we both love fishing, but we also want to make cool videos and, you know, inspirational videos. I've struggled with that because it's like, okay, put down your fly rod, pick up your camera and come, come, come capture this. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, you know, think about, yeah, not for instance, like we have some shots of like, that would have been really great shots, but there's like, you know, a guy in the background because he's, you know, we're busy worried about the fishing and not worried about making a video. And uh, so I think some of the, need a little bit more careful planning and, um, you know, just taking turns, hitting working runs and that kind of stuff and getting cool shots. I mean, yeah, it's, right. it's a struggle. I mean, I, it's, uh, we all love fishing, but I, you know, an equal passion of ours is making um, these videos. So. so we're talking today with Ben Fortner of uh, hog leg fly fishing and uh ben uh, i appreciate your time today man you got lots of great stories i'm just uh if you could capture your favorite trip ever is that the one you maybe shot in the video or is this uh another one yeah i mean my favorite trip has got to be spending four months in patagonia and i really want to write my goal is either write a blog or detailed blog or maybe a series of blog posts or maybe an ebook about that trip mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so driving around Patagonia for five months and exploring all the waters I did and how people can do that themselves. It's really a lot more accessible than people think if you have the time. And so like, for instance, my truck, I bought the truck. I sold it for $300 less than I bought it for after four months of, you know, 12,000 kilometers over some of the worst roads. So like, and you're camping your truck and staying at, you know, hostels at other times. So it's, these trips are not that expensive if you put some planning and thought into how you do them. Uh, and so I kind of want to write a blog. I kind of want right. my blog and my website to be kind of about how people can do these trips on their own. Um, something that I want to talk about. So why don't why don't you uh, give us your uh, media handles out there so somebody can look you up as uh, as far as Hogleg or your uh, Instagram account? Sure, my Instagram account is just Ben Bortner underscore Fly Fishing, and my last name is spelled B O R T N E R. And then our other account is uh, Hogleg Fly Fishing. Oh, that's kind of a funny story. It started a wave of, we have a buddy named uh, Tommy and he, he came up with the word hog leg and uh, it was kind of funny, you know, like a fish the size of a hog's leg. So <laughs> it kind of stuck in our group. I saw the, uh, I, I saw your hats there that you got on your website. I kind of got a kick out of that. Yeah, those are kind of, we put those together for fun. I was, you know, we put them together. We're not, you know, made a little bit of money really, but I don't think we really covered our expenses. <laughs> so somebody wants to check that out. That's www.hoglegflyfishing.com. Keep an eye out for our videos on the International Fly Fishing Film Festival. Hopefully, if not, we're going to have to be launching on our website and we'll be you know, talking about it on, on our uh, Instagrams. That's that's cool. I wish you luck with that. That's so uh, Ben has got a, a film uh, that he submitted to the IF4, which is the International Fly Fishing Film Festival. He shot it in Patagonia, and I can tell you that he's got some just brilliant footage. I wish you luck with that and uh, on your next trip, and, and thanks so much for uh, spending time with us today, Ben. Thanks, Mark. Look forward to talking again soon. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.